It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Well, welcome to Quantum number 252, a podcast that looks at news and views from throughout the world from a Christian perspective, but open to all. And a big theme this week have been a number of people who have died. Uh, This man, for example, I'm here in Australia and uh, this is one of the best known Australians, sadly really. There's an old Australian stockman lying, dying. And he gets himself up onto one elbow and he turns to his mates who are gathered round and he says, Watch me wallabies feed, mate. Watch me wallabies feed. They're a dangerous breed, mate. So watch me wallabies feed all together now. Tie me kangaroo down, sport. Tie me kangaroo down. Tie me kangaroo down, sport. Tie me kangaroo down. Keep me cockatoo cool, curl. Keep me cockatoo cool. Oh, don't go acting the fool, curl. Just keep me cockatoo cool all together now. Tie me kangaroo down, sport. Tie me kangaroo down. That, of course, was Rolf Harris. Tie me kangaroo down. I think it was 1963, that long ago, one of the most popular entertainers in the United Kingdom. He's died in the United Kingdom after serving a period of time, aged, he's aged 93, uh, after serving a period of time for uh, assaulting young women, grooming and assaulting young women. And it's, you know, extraordinary that people from my childhood, like Jimmy Savile and Rolf Harris, they were kind of held up as the, the the wholesome entertainers and they used their position in terms of the power that they had to abuse. Just, uh, it's just desperately sad. And then here's another man who's died who's very sad. This is the writer Martin Amos talking. Um, he, he, he is a, a kind of singularity, Hitler. And a couple of brilliant diarists, contemporary diarists, Germans, German diarists said that um, this is all beyond history, it's all outside history, as if, as if the sort of a tear in the universe and this happened to take place. There was this awful aberration. Yes. And, or, or more um, than that. But something that felt supernatural. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't believe in the supernatural, but this certainly looks and feels supernatural. Now, a brilliant writer in many ways. Uh, he could be very biting and very moralistic. And Terry Eagleton says this about him, which I thought, and this was in an article on Unheard, which was entitled The Liberal Complacency of Martin Amos. He says, Hitchens' spiritual twin Martin Amos easily matched him from mordant wit. He was the great poet of the postmodern metropolis, his finger and airingly on the way on the pulse of its hard-boiled streetwise, sexually libidinous inhabitants. His sensibility belonged as exactly to its time and place as that of Dickens or Faulkner. We are ushered into, and this was the phrase that struck me, we are ushered into a depthless, deregulated world of appetite, self-interest, and purely vacuous freedom in which anything goes, 
held together only by the rigour of literary style. Style in Amos is what rises triumphantly above the squalor of his material. Well, I I think that was true. I, I think that, again, somebody who used his extraordinary gifts to advocate and advance a lifestyle which did so much harm. Another person who died was Jeremy Clark, a columnist in The Spectator, um, who I used to very much enjoy reading, and I'm sorry to see him go on. And then the most significant in terms of the church have been, uh, well, I think three deaths in particular. One is of Professor Donald MacLeod, uh, and it's fascinating, just shows you the emphasis of our culture. That Radio Scotland ran with stories about Philip Schofield. They ran with stories about the death of one of Hinge and Brackets, um, a comedy duo. Not a word about Donald MacLeod. Scotland, certainly Scotland's most significant theologian, along with Tom Torrance of the 20th, uh, 20th century and this century, and a major influence in lots of ways, and yet not a word. Uh, Donald's most lasting influence came came through the fact that he taught virtually every free church minister for decades. I think uh, John, his son, wrote that only three free church ministers serving at the time in 2011 hadn't studied with him. Uh, I edited a magazine called The Record. He edited it before me uh, and was absolutely excellent. His books were wonderful, but it's his preaching. Uh, I at times, I can think of two occasions, especially where you know I felt like I was in heaven. Well, one of the things he did was he regularly went to Falkirk, I think five times a year, to give lectures, just to a small church there. And this was, I believe, the last where he seemed to be aware of his own impending death. Just listen to this. He had made a great discovery, which is quite fascinating for us here in verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints, which I seem paraphrased as, the Lord is not indifferent to the death of his people, or doesn't take it, like, doesn't take it lightly. Each death, under God's own regime, and each one of us here walking in the land of the living, precious to God, and that earthly life, this life here in the land of the living, so precious to God, because here we serve him and bear our witness to him. And maybe tonight, in the context of uh, the fact that so many of us know friends who are, so far as uh, human wisdom is concerned, close to the end of their journey, this is a sublime sentiment. Their lives are precious. Their lives on earth are precious, and no Christian life on earth is ever squandered by God. He has his own purpose for it, and until that is done, uh, he will ensure that that life continues. 
It's a beautiful image. It's a beautiful picture. And in contrast with the death of Ames or Rolf Harris, there's, there's just a hope about that. As there is with this man, I'm sure many of you will recognize this man. Listen, this is, this is true. Jesus talks about greed 10 times more than he talks about adultery, for example. Now, one of the problems Christians have here is partly, let, let's be nice to Christians, you know when you're committing adultery. I mean, you don't say, oh, you're not my wife. I mean, you know you're committing <laughs> But, But almost nobody knows when they're greedy. I mean, nobody thinks they're greedy, you know, because everybody is comparing yourself to other people, and so it's a frog in the kettle kind of thing. Uh, however, the fact of the matter is the Bible is much harder on greed and materialism, and it's a horrible sin, terrible sin. Well, will greed send you to hell? No. What sends you to hell is self-righteousness, thinking that you can be your own savior and Lord. What sends you to heaven is getting a connection with Christ because you realize you're a sinner and you, and you, and you need intervention from outside. That's why it's, a, it's very misleading actually to say, even to say homosexuality is a sin because most people, yes, of course homosexuality is a sin because greed is a sin because all kinds of things are sins. But what most Christians mean when they say that, and certainly what non-Christians think they hear when they hear that, is if you're gay, you're going to hell for being gay. It's just not true. Absolutely not true. That was Tim Keller, who also died on Friday morning after a battle with pancreatic cancer, aged only 72. For me, uh, this one hit particularly hard because Tim Keller is somebody I not only admire, I knew a little bit, not very well. Everyone's coming out with how I knew Tim Keller stories. He wasn't my best mate. But um, he did give me very good advice. I He's one of the few people I listen to Alistair Begg. I listen to Sinclair Ferguson. I listen to Tim Keller. And I listen to Andrew Robertson pretty well every week. I guess I like listening to sermons. But I listen to a Tim Keller sermon at least once a week. Again, I thought his books were brilliant, but it really was his uh, preaching and that interaction that he had there. That was on the Veritas Forum, by the way, and it's well worth looking at the whole clip in that. Uh, I remember discussing with him Redeemer and how it started and what happened and how the first couple of years really amounted to revival and renewal. Um, visited Redeemer a couple of times as well. And just remarkable how in that secular city, this wonderful gospel church grew up. Others have also died. Harry Reader and Gordon Keddie. Uh, Harry Reader, a well-known minister in the PCA in Briarwood, Birmingham, Alabama. And Gordon Keddie, who was some, uh, a writer uh, as well as a pastor, again, in the United States. Well, remembering the Donald McLeod clip, those of us who are Christians, we know that every day ordained for us was written in God's book before one of them came to be. I don't feel sorrow for Donald or Tim or Harry Reader or any of the others who are believers. Why? Because as we've been looking at in Coffee and Colossians, we see that now they are in the presence of God and they are free from accusation. They are holy and blameless. And that is just a beautiful thing. Okay, 
I want to play a piece of music, and it does sound quite dark. Well, it's and it's called "You Want It Darker." Uh, this is Leonard Cohen. Magnified, sanctified, be the holy name. Vilified, crucified in the human frame. A million candles burning for the love that never came. You want it darker. We kill the flame. If you are the dealer, let me out of the game. If you are the healer, I'm broken and lame. If thine is the glory, mine must be the shame. You want it darker. writing these songs towards the end of his life um, magnified sanctified be the holy name vilified crucified in the human frame a million candles burning for the help that never came you want it darker but it's the word hineni hineni and that's hebrew for here i am and it's used of abraham when he was told to sacrifice his child here i am lord but in jewish prayer it's regularly used as a prayer of humility and a prayer of preparation. Here I am, hineni, hineni, I'm ready, my Lord. I'm ready, my Lord. And I, in the last words of Tim Keller, were pretty well along the same lines. I, I think you get to a stage when you know that you're going to die, and the death is precious in the eyes of the Lord. So, I, I did that at the beginning, all this thing on death, because I think it's a wonderful thing that the Christian has this hope, and I think the world is crippled by its fear of death. So let's go on to some world news. Um, let's uh, Taiwan, first of all. Quite extraordinary that the 76th World Health Assembly decided on Monday to reject a proposal to invite Taiwan to enjoy it. Now, the World Health Assembly says it's focused on saving lives, driving health for all. And yet, it is it refuses to bring in Taiwan because that would offend China. Uh, the WHO, I think, are as well, the World Health Organization, is, I think, deeply corrupt in many ways. It's, for example advocating abortion on demand up to nine months on countries that don't want it as a health measure. That doesn't just doesn't make any sense. And then, well, I'm pretty sure if I play this piece of music as an intro, you'll know what country we're going to next.
Zorba the Greek, of course. Song, if you've ever gone on holiday to Greece, you hear everywhere that piece of music. Um, and it's interesting what's going on in Greece because the Conservative Prime Minister, Kyriakos Mitsotakis, he's won uh, the general election. His centre-right New Democracy Party look as though they're going to get 41% of the vote. There'll be five seats short of a majority. They've absolutely hammered Alexis Tsipras, um, who I, I actually have really enjoyed listening to him uh, explaining lots of different things. I find him uh, insightful. I don't know uh, Mr. Mitsotakis at all. But Tsipras, with his Tsaritsa party, the left-wing party, got absolutely hammered. Um, it really was unexpected as well. They need to get 151 seats. They've got 146. And what they'll do is they will not share power with another party. They go forward to a second election in late June, but the winning party then picks up bonus seats. So it's almost certain that he will um, become the next Greek prime minister. And like death, that's all in the hands of the Lord too. All right. This, this is a really interesting piece of news, but let me introduce it with this piece of music from the Beach Boys. Surfing USA from the Beach Boys. Um, and I, I mention it because what do you find on beaches? Sand. And there's got to be plenty of sand. There's deserts and everything else, isn't there? But sand is actually in short supply just now. And there's a huge surge in demand. They reckon that this, uh, Leiden University in the Netherlands warns that sand demand is going to rise by 45% over the next four decades. The construction sector's annual consumption is expected to reach a staggering 4.6 billion tonnes, primarily driven by rapid population growth and economic development in Africa and Asia. It's used in creating concrete, glass and other essential building materials. It does seem as though sand is limited, it's the most, but it's the most consumed natural resource on the planet besides water. Some 50 billion tonnes of sand and gravel called aggregate is used every year. That's an amount large enough to cover the whole United Kingdom. And the trouble is some of the sand that's found in the desert isn't very good for construction, so they, they dredge it from elsewhere and that's creating all kinds of problems, particularly when it's done in, in rivers or in coastal areas, obviously where it's going to be. So, uh, I... I didn't know any of that. Maybe you did. Maybe you're fully aware of the sand shortage, but so be it. Well, there's another shortage. There's a shortage of common sense. Here is uh, the UK politician Ed Davey telling us what a woman is. I've made it really clear that if people, um, uh, the vast majority of people, will have the same 
gender as their biological sex, but a small number won't. So a woman can have a penis? Well, quite clearly. Now that's breathtaking in so many ways, and it's an issue that comes up again and again, but here is a man claiming to be mature and compassionate and telling us that a woman can have a penis. You know, if if we'd said 10 years ago this would be happening, people would say, you're off your heads, Matt. I wonder what it'd be like in 10 years' time. I came across this website, which is very good, freetospeak.co.uk, and the testimonials from Free to Speak. And just I'll just give you one of them. There are, secondary, there are schools all over, primary and secondary schools. So since starting secondary school, my daughter, now year 10, and all her friends are now all either gay, asexual, non-binary, etc. Not a single one of my daughter's big group of friends is straight. My daughter tells me how teachers tell them they are bi, etc. She talks all about the time about assemblies on LGBT. I honestly believe it's too much. Yet there are children in the school, my son included, who's in year seven and suffers badly with anxiety, who get no help. It's a struggle to get him to school each day. He's also now questioning if he'd fit in more if he was gay. How is that acceptable? And others have written in with, uh, it's worth going and having a look at the testimonies. Now, what is happening here is indoctrination. And there's a report come out by the think tank Civitas, who conducted a survey in England of 1,100 sixth form age young people. And these are some of the astonishing statistics. 10% of those surveyed wanted to change their gender or have already done so. Nearly a third said they'd been taught that a woman can have a penis. Ed Davey would be pleased. While one in five said they thought a man can get pregnant. Almost a quarter said that sex education lessons had included details on bondage, domination and sadomasochism. 40% said they'd learnt that young men were a problem in society and a similar number were told Britain was a structurally racist country. Friends, listen. If you doubt what's going on in Western schools, in, in the UK, in America, in Australia, then go and examine the materials. This is the indoctrination, and dare I say it, it is the grooming and abuse of children. And it's the WHO, which you mentioned earlier, who have, have recommended all this as well. They've put out guidelines recently that toddlers ask questions about sexuality, explore gender identities and learn about enjoyment of early childhood masturbation. The guidance says sexuality education starts from birth. This is the WHO. It's been translated into several European languages. It's distributed throughout the United Kingdom as well. The advice proposes that four to six-year-olds should be taught to talk about sexual matters and consolidate their gender identity. You know, you might be listening to this podcast and you may have a child in the car and they may be 10 or 11 and you're saying, I don't know if this is appropriate. But the world, WHO are saying, teach four to six-year-olds. This one, enjoyment and pleasure when touching one's own body, early childhood masturbation. That's from the document. That's incredible. And where is all this leading? Here is a senator, believe it or not, Senator Machiela Cavano, speaking in a Nebraska Senate. Trans people belong here. We need trans people. We love trans people. Trans people belong here. We need trans people. We love trans people. Trans people belong here. We need trans people. That's it. We love That's the argument. People. It just goes on and on and on. 
It's a mantra repeated and repeated in increasingly hysterical tones. We love trans people. Trans people belong here. We need trans people. We love trans people. You matter. You matter. And I am fighting for you. And I will not stop. I will not stop today. I will not stop tomorrow. You are loved. You matter. And the point is, these are the people who vote and who are meant to be looking after our children and their health care and education and safety. Just wow. All right, I tell you what, have you ever listened to this? We present I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue, the antidote to panel games. At the piano is Colin Sell, and your chairman is Humphrey Nittleton. Hello and welcome to I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue. You join us for a second week in the historic town of Dartford. Dartford was but a small village until the Middle Ages when the town enjoyed rapid growth thanks to the many pilgrims passing through on their way to Canterbury. They would assemble in London under the Charing Cross and pray for a safe day's journey. The tradition of praying at Charing Cross to get to Dartford on the same day. <laughs> survives even now. In 1660, Dartford was struck by the plague. When the epidemic ended, the town mayor decreed that the mighty bells of Holy Trinity Church be rung constantly for a week. The same week, in fact, that the tinnitus epidemic started. <laughs> That's Radio 4's I Haven't a Clue. I just, I think it's utterly brilliant. Um, now, believe it or not, I love the BBC. Particularly, I love BBC Radio 4. But less and less, I'm listening to it. I occasionally listen to the news. Um, I've got one or two other programmes I listen to. But there was an article in The Spectator which showed the sad decline of BBC Radio 4. And it's declining in this way. Because its 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 audience has dropped phenomenally in the past few years, and part of that it's back to the mantra "go woke, go broke." So it's always their comedy stuff. I don't listen to anymore. I used to listen to a lot of it, such as "I'm sorry, I haven't a clue." It's always diversity, equality, and inclusion. It's always one particular politics. Uh, this article lists, for example, dedication plays with the idea for which there's good evidence that this is the BBC saying this that the Earl of Southampton was a cross-dressing homosexual with whom it is possible Shakespeare had an affair. Lost Paradise, the UK's first environmental refugees are due to be displaced in the next 20 years. Other highlights include this morning's Ryland discussing gay penguins and life in Sudan. More Shakespeare with a discussion on toxic masculinity in Hamlet. It's always, as the writer says, the endless, tedious huffing and puffing on the same themes, always from the same viewpoints. Even my favourite programme, which is In Our Time, with Melvin Bragg, just wonderfully, had one academic going on about gender and non-binary identities, which Melvin Bragg would usually deal with, but it said they just nod it along. It's unending, the propaganda. And it can be dangerous. Let's go to something else. Um, Hatun Tash. Hatun Tash is a female Christian preacher 
who was attacked by a man um, and he threatened, well, he was, he was attempting to murder her. He actually admitted this. Edward Little from Brighton was carrying £5,000. He wanted to get a firearm, a passport, two phones. He pleaded guilty um, and it's clouded as acts of terrorism. Now, he had asked the driver if he could stop and pray at a mosque because he was an Islamic convert. Although the driver had said there's not one on the way. Now, what's interesting about this is when I saw that reported on the BBC, there was nothing about him being an Islamic convert, despite the fact that this was clearly his motivation. All right, I'll tell you what, um, before we go, let's have a little bit. We've been talking about death. Uh, let's have a little bit of Megadeth. Dave Mustaine and uh, I came across this testimony from Mustaine. Let's listen to just a bit of it. Are people right when they say that heavy metal music is infused with the power of the devil? In some cases, yes, but yes. Not, not in all cases because you've got great heavy metal bands that believe in God and glorify him. Um, we pray every night before we go on stage. My mom was a Jehovah's Witness. I was brought up as a witness and I revolted into the witchcraft because I hated going out and knocking on people's doors. Was your abuse of alcohol related to the satanic influences that you'd been dabbling in? I, I say this, um, every time I drank, I did not always do activities that were satanic, but any time I ha had been doing anything that was satanic, I had been drinking. So there does that make sense? Reason. Yes, it does. There was a relationship then. Absolutely. There are some songs Mustaine will no longer sing. I am an like Megadeth's cover of the Sex Pistols' Anarchy in the UK. And he says he believes he's better for it. I think that I'm more dangerous now that I've become a Christian than I ever was before when I was trying to go the opposite route because I'm armed with the truth now. I don't know. I, I love the fact um, uh, there are... There are a number of metal stars who have become Christians, which I think is wonderful. Someone who, as yet, I don't think has, but this intrigues me. And thank you to the listener who sent this to me. I've been listening to this. Paul Simon has got a new album out, Seven, Seven Psalms, it's called. And it's a 33-minute, seven-movement composition uh, recorded entirely on acoustic instruments and mainly performed by Paul it is beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. I love it. And it's a meditation on 
as we've been looking at on death and coming to the end of life. And, well, here, here's part of the trailer for it. This is a journey for me to complete. This whole piece is really an argument I'm having with myself about belief or not. Yesterday's boy is gone Driving through darkness Searching for your forgiveness In sorrow, a beautiful song Lives in the heart and sings for all Your forgiveness I feel like we could probably have and I, the last in the line, uh, hoping the gates won't be closed before your forgiveness. There's something about just the loneliness of the one instrument. There's some little emptiness in there that, that can occur. The Lord is my engineer. Let me hear the guitar for a second. The Lord is my record producer. The Lord is the music I hear. Forgiveness, struggling with belief, mortality. Oh, pray for Paul Simon. I love his music and wow. I would be just brilliant if he becomes a believer. And I, I, again, highly recommend the album. That's my review of the week, by the way, is for Seven Psalms. Well worth listening to, getting on Spotify or buying it even. Um, I tell you what, let's return to Keller before we go. And here he is talking about death. Plenty of other religions that talk about a future afterlife, which is a non-material world. In other words, you get a consolation for the world we've lost. Mm -hmm. Christianity says it's not just your bodies are being resurrected, but the, the world is actually going to be a material world that's cleansed from all evil and suffering and, uh, and sin. And if Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, then the whole world is going to be, in a sense, resurrected. Mm -hmm. And everything is going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Everything. You don't, even, you don't know how? I don't know how, but it will be. So, uh, and you know what? Actually, it, right now, I couldn't possibly be convinced that Jesus was not raised from the mm. dead, either intellectually or ex existentially. So whenever I'm, and by the way, but Kathy and I, listen, we cry, we, we, we cried a lot last mm. night. Sometimes the reality of the shortness of what we have left here just overwhelms us, and we were just weeping together and, and crying. And then you say, if Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, it is gonna be okay. And then you can wipe your tears, but you don't stop mm. crying. Uh, it's like salt in the wound that keeps the wound from going bad. Mm. Uh, that keeps someone from getting infected, but it doesn't mean that until the end of you know until we actually meet Jesus Christ, we we still have our wounds, so they aren't going to be healed, but they'll be healed by His. Again, that video has several more comments. Uh, these were things he said towards the end of his life. Um, I love that about it matters what we do, but God's got everything in His hand, and I love that everything is going to be okay because of the resurrection of Jesus. It's not just that we're resurrected, but there's a new world, a resurrected world. 
And that is our great hope. And that's where our brothers have gone who have died. If you're not a believer, it's something you need to find out because it's the only hope. Believe you me, it is the only hope. You know, what do you want to be? Rolf Harris, Martin Ames, or other people who just got a hopeless ending. Or Donald McLeod, Tim Keller, and others. So, I'm going to love you and leave you with this song from Clive Parnell, who's a, a, a listener to our podcast. This is a first of a series of five songs, I think, based on the Song of Songs. This one's called You Are Light, and um, it's being played on BBC Radio Scotland. So there's some good stuff on the BBC. Uh, well done, Clive. And we pray that people would come out of the darkness that is death, would come to see and know the light of the Lord. There are lights shining in the sky But there is only one so high Many are looking for fame But there is only one, one name Uh, thanks to Peter for producing this. You got any comments, please feel free to send them to me. Any news items, feel free to send them. Uh, if you want to uh, help fund this, just go to the Podbean fundraiser. Um, please do give a review on Apple Podcasts and, and all the other platforms as well that we're on. It really would be appreciated. You can get all the links that I'm referring to in this on the website www.weefly.com. God bless you. If you're a believer, just rejoice in the eternal life that Christ gives. And if you're not a believer, hurry up. God bless you. Bye. You were light. You lead my way. You were light. Draw me close.
Close today. 